Well, as we transition um, to spending some time, prolonged time in the Word, um, just so you guys have a right expectation of what we're looking for, this is going to be uh, far more an insight into maybe what Wednesday nights look like when we hang out as the teens. It's going to be far more Bible study-like. Um, it'd be super helpful if I had a semi-circle of like 14 to 17-year-olds around me because then I'd be really comfortable um, and it would it would feel like what we normally do. But um, to kids, I kind of am... I, I meant to, and I just realized I forgot. I had some children's notes that I was going to kind of send out that you could have print off, but um, we'll just have to do without. So, so we're going to be in the book of Jonah. If you have your Bible with you and you want to go ahead and flip there, um, we'll, we'll read from Jonah in just a moment here. But, um, you know, it's just so prevalent in our world right now. There's so much fear and misunderstanding and confusion and, and even anger. Um, that I'm sure that several of us, um, certainly myself included, we, we deal with anger from time to time. And when there's all these outside stresses and pressures upon us of, of, of COVID and, and job loss and schools not meeting and kids not having their activities and whether or not you have insurance and unemployment and health and safety and how to navigate that. It just adds this heightened level of, of just tension. And I know for me, it's been a time that I've had times where that's manifested itself in seemingly a shorter fuse um, and, and anger um, at times. And sometimes I don't even see it. Um, anger can be something that it blinds us. It, we can feel justified in having our anger. Um, and I know that it just the longer it goes, it kind of morphs and it changes. And the next thing you know, it's gone too far. Well, I, I, I trust that you guys can share in my thoughts and probably have experienced that in some degree. And this morning, we're going to look at a man who was also blinded by his anger. He was so blinded by his anger that he ended up becoming and directing his anger towards God. His anger was so irrational that to any logical person, it makes absolutely no sense. His anger had completely blinded him. And what I love about the story of Jonah or the account of Jonah's life is how God responds to Jonah's irrational anger. And it really has struck me as I was reading through this of how it would be great if I could hear the audible voice of God respond to me in my anger in the same way that he does to Jonah. And it's this simple, gentle reminder in which God says to Jonah, are you right to be angry? And it's just kind of this piercing sentence that really gets to the core of, are you right to be angry. So I know my situation is totally different than Jonah. My reasons of what causes me angry were totally, me to be angry are totally different than the reasons of Jonah. But it would do well for me to hear God say to me, are you right to be angry? 
So as we reflect on thinking about the lessons of Jonah, I trust that the story of Jonah is one that we are all very familiar with. Kids, we've all read the story of Jonah in a children's story Bible. It makes for great pictures to have this tempestuous, tempestuous storm that the boat goes through and this fish, and it just makes for a great story. So as we think about the story of Jonah, we see the book open up in chapter one with God coming to Jonah, a prophet, who he wants to share his message with the Ninevites, right? And so God says, Jonah, go tell the Ninevites to turn from their sin or in 40 days, I'll bring destruction to them. To which Jonah quickly goes and does the opposite, right? Nineveh's this way and Jonah hops on a ship going this way. He wants nothing to do with it. He wants nothing to do with God's plan for the Ninevites. And we see that God sends this storm. Jonah had a plan, but God. God had a plan. And we know God's plan is what was going to happen. So he sends this storm. And the waves start to come. And the ship's being tossed to and fro. And they start throwing things overboard to lighten the ship. And it's just not getting any better. And so they go to cast lots. Or if you think of drawing straws to figure out who is the one that's causing this? And Jonah drew, draws the short straw to say the lot falls on him. And the, his intentions and what's happening become aware to the sailors. And Jonah suggests to the sailors, just throw me overboard and this will all be done. To which the sailors hesitate. They don't want to. So they try to row and row and they make no progress toward shore. And eventually Jonah is thrown overboard. And kids, we all remember what happens, right? We see that God is totally in control of the whole situation. The water's calm and this really crazy thing that just doesn't even seem totally possible at all is this giant fish comes and swallows up Jonah. And, and we see Jonah has a change of heart. He sits inside the belly of this fish and we see a change in Jonah. He cries out to God. He asks for forgiveness. He asks for God's mercy. Now, this is likely where many of us have in children's church or in the story Bibles. It's where the story ends, right? God, or this, the fish, vomits Jonah out onto dry land. And then Jonah listens to God and he makes his little trek down to Nineveh. And he shares with the Ninevites God's message for them. We see that Jonah goes and says to the Ninevites, turn from your wickedness or God will destroy you in 40 days. And miraculously, the people of Nineveh believed. They turned, they, they changed. They saw a remarkable instantaneous change go throughout the city. And so what we're going to spend our time talking about this morning is Jonah's response to what happened. If you think about it for a second, you were just used in part of God's plan. God used you to cause revival to break out an entire city. How would you feel? I think about this and I think, and I think when I think back on my perspective as a kid, I had to think that Jonah was ecstatic. He would be happy. He would be great. 
he would he would be so great, um, happy that he was used in God's plan. Well, what we see in Jonah chapter four is Jonah was anything but happy. Jonah was angry. The reason Jonah was running away from God had nothing to do with fear of spreading the gospel. It had nothing or fear of, of, of giving God's message. It wasn't fear of for what he would feel in response to being a prophet of God. It was not that at all. We see Jonah's true motivation for his actions in Jonah chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah. It is right after the wildly popular book of Obadiah. Um, and we're going to start reading in Jonah 4, verse 1. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out from the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what became of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it grow up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So we see here in Jonah chapter four, um, we see Jonah, he went out of the city, he's angry at God, and he builds a shelter. And he's going to sit and watch and see what happens to Nineveh. But God causes this plant to grow up over Jonah, and Jonah's happy. He's shaded from the sun. He's comfortable. This plant brings Jonah joy and happiness but then God, the next morning, sent a worm to eat the stem of this little plant. And what happens to the plant? It dies. Jonah loses his shade from the sun. Jonah was so happy for this plant, but now he's so uncomfortable that he would rather be dead than to be in the situation. So as we think about Jonah chapter 4, 
in Jonah's actions, I want us this morning to just reflect on some lessons that we can learn from Jonah's life. Uh, there's a verse in Romans that says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. So my prayer this morning as we look at Jonah is that we would be encouraged and that we would have hope. So in verse one, or the first lesson that we can read from Jonah, or that we can learn from, or thing that Jonah goes through is his anger. So we look at Jonah's anger. What can we learn from Jonah's anger? I don't think any of us have ever quite been in a situation like Jonah. I don't think any of us have ever been angry because we were clearly involved in God's plan and God's plan was good, but for one reason or another, we didn't like God's plan. I think there's absolutely implications to our anger in general. I know that for me, I go through periods of time where I struggle with anger. When I think about one that maybe somewhat relates to this, I don't know if you guys have anybody in your house that's like this, but I hate being late. I hate being late to things, but we are always late to things. It's like my goal in life to try to be on time to things. And it manifests itself so clearly on Sunday mornings. And God has pierced my heart as we're heading to church in the morning. And I have just stewed over telling my kids so patiently, of course, to quick get your clothes on, quick grab breakfast and try to push everybody to quick get into the car because we can't be late for church on Sunday morning. And I think every family has one of these, so I don't know who it is in your family, but invariably what happens is it's me not wanting to be late. And as the, the morning goes on, I just become blind to what's happening and it just grows and it grows. And the end result is almost always with me doing something that from an outsider's perspective is clearly foolish. Something that I end up having to ask forgiveness of my kids and my wife and repentance from God because it's this selfish mentality of me wanting to be late that gets this anger going inside of me. It really is illustrated well in Ecclesiastes 7, 9, which says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for angry lodges in the bosom of fools. It clearly that I'm foolish when I'm angry. And generally, again, like I said, I have to ask God for forgiveness. And if we look at the motivation to the anger that Jonah had and the motivation to our anger when we have, generally it's rooted in selfishness. It's we have something we want to do and it doesn't turn out that way. It's this me mentality. And we know that God calls Christians to die to that me mentality that fuels our anger. Many times we see that our emotions are fueled by our greatest passions. And when we see an emotion of anger, it's fueled by a passion generally for me, for myself. But when our passion is for others or our passion is focused on God's passions, we see that anger fades away. So when I look at others the way that God looked at them, or when I love others the way that God would have me love them, 
When I allow others to be imperfect, when I'm willing to extend grace, anger fades away. So as we look at Jonah's anger and we introspectively look at our anger, I challenge you as I challenge myself to check our motives. Our motives focused on others and God. Right? What are the greatest commandments? Love others, love God and love others in which the law rests on all the rest of the law rests on that. Well, as we keep moving, there's other things we can learn from Jonah than just his anger. We can learn from Jonah's heart. As God saves the Ninevites, we really see Jonah's heart here or his lack thereof. And as I think about Jonah's heart, kids, I'm reminded of a familiar story, one that as I was preparing for this, I was almost embarrassed that sometimes I self-identify myself as being a Grinch. Now, if you remember the familiar story of the Grinch who stole Christmas, how is he described? Can you remember? How does the story describe the heart of the Grinch? It was described as two sizes too small. And that's really what we see here with Jonah. He didn't share God's compassion, God's heart of compassion for the Ninevites who were, who were lost. And we can so easily have the same problem. We have to realize that only God can expand our small and fragile hearts. God gives us grace through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. It's because of Christ working in us that we have the capacity to have a heart that can have compassion on others, even our enemies. In fact, that's the promise that we have, that we can have a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, right? That's what it says, that I'll, I'll put in you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Heard it said before that those who really know grace will really show grace. If God has so graciously changed our heart from that heart of stone to a heart of flesh, will we not be eager vectors or methods of God's grace in other people's life? So we ought not to have a heart like Jonah. We ought to have a heart of flesh. Well, thirdly, we can learn from Jonah's hypocrisy. It's quite ironic that in chapters 1 and even into chapter 2, we see Jonah, who when given a clear message from God, chose to do the exact opposite. He ran from God. He didn't listen to God. He was thrown overboard into a raging sea that had to be, I would assume at that time, thought to be impending death. He was then eaten by a giant fish. I don't know what that feels like, but I would imagine that when that happens, you feel impending death. He then sits for three days in the belly of this fish by some miraculous way, not being digested. I would have had to think that that feels like absolute death. Then cries out to God 
for mercy. And his pleas are heard and his life is spared. How crazy is it that the person who literally just experienced God's grace and mercy has the double standard that he wants used on the Ninevites? How easy is it for us to point a finger at Jonah for the hypocrisy that we see in his life? But is it really all that different from what we see at times in our own life? How quickly we forget what we really deserve. How easy is it to overlook the mess that we are in our life? How quickly do we neglect to realize that we are nothing but filthy rags? That we deserve nothing. We deserve less than nothing. We deserve eternal torment and death. How quickly we forget that every breath that we take is a gift from God. How often do we view ourselves as completely undeserving of anything apart from the grace of God? That we would have the, my prayer when we introspectively look at how we really all have these hypocritical tendencies is that we would share in the heart of Paul in his letter to the Galatians. And he says, far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So one of the key themes of the book of Jonah is that God is always doing, as he says in Ephesians, immeasurably more than we ask or think. God's working in the background, doing more than we could ever ask or think. We see that his compassion is much greater than we could ever think. See, Jonah thinks that God's mission, and so many times when I read the book of Jonah, I see God's mission as revealing this story about how he's going to have compassion and forgiveness and see change in a city in the Ninevites. But maybe what isn't quite so clear, but what I think is by far the more applicable message of Jonah to us now is that it's God being kind to Jonah by exposing Jonah's anger, by exposing Jonah's true heart, by exposing Jonah's hypocrisy by exposing Jonah's contempt for the very divine compassion that he himself so desperately just experienced the benefits of and so desperately needs. It's just like us. God showing compassion on Jonah by exposing his hypocrisy. And God is kind to you. God is kind to us when he exposes his compassion on us when he roots out our me mentality that leads us to have anger or when he roots out how incompassionate we can be to people who look different than us or act different than us or have different, um, have different ideals than we do or when God roots out daily hypocrisy in our life. 
So when you feel that tension of anger rising inside of you, do you hear God's compassion in your life when he says to you, do you do well to be angry? Do you hear God's gentle hand of correction and compassion changing your heart to a heart of flesh? In this book, God seems to kind of just push and press on Jonah, kind of like a bruise, and just kind of get at him and get at him. God hurts Jonah for the purpose of growing his small heart. God does this with this analogy of this plant that comes up and and how this plant that Jonah did nothing to grow, that just came up by the mercy of God to protect him from the sun. And just so easily, God took it away. And Jonah felt justified to be angry about that. But yet, wasn't going to be okay with God extending that same mercy to the Ninevites. So as we read about it, surely we see the kindness of God in it. We see how God is giving sight to his blind prophet Jonah, that he might rightly grasp the wonder of God's compassion. We see how God is exposing the proverbial log in Jonah's eye rather than allowing him to focus on the speck in others' eyes. The point of Jonah is this, is that we all need saving. And in the end, the only one who can ultimately perform that, perform that work, God. And when God does, it will always be a work of mercy and grace. And that those who are shown mercy and grace are people who show mercy and grace. This is the message of the gospel, right? I I trust that now you see some of the links, if it wasn't so clear before, of the story of the prodigal son, how the clear message of the gospel of God showing grace and mercy to others, and yet how we who have been shown grace and mercy can sometimes have difficulties with having grace and mercy on others. But it's clearly manifested in Romans 5.10, where it says, if if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, reconciled, will we be saved by his life? The point is that we who are the chief of sinners being forgiven of so much ought to personally extend grace to others and rejoice when we see God extending grace to others. I think as we close here, if we would, as we transition through a time when it seems like divisiveness and differences and um, um, how we disagree on things is what seems to be defining us right now, that we would continually to see ourselves as people who have been shown so much grace and how could we respond to others in a way that isn't then showing them grace. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us, the mercy and how you have neglected to give us the punishment 
that we deserve. God, we confess that we can be blinded by anger in the same way that Jonah was. Father, who, how we can see ourselves in some convoluted way as deserving of your mercy and grace. God, more than others. God, how we can twist that to think that other people don't, um, who other people are less deserving of these things than us because they feel a different way or think a different way or look a different way or act a different way. God, open our eyes to the glories of the gospel, the undeserving nature of what you've done for us. Father, may that transform our hearts. May it transform our interactions and how we deal with others both in and out of the church, Lord, that we would be a people who have been shown grace and our actions are marked by grace. Father, we pray for wisdom and safety as we look to meet together next week. Father, we pray that we would have a renewed and energized understanding and love for the meeting together, for the ability to physically be present with the body of Christ. Father, bless the rest of our day. We thank you for the glorious weather that you've given us, that we can be outside and safely enjoy your creation. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.